Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Mike Osray. He is Vice President of Renewable Energy Development at Eversource. And this morning we are talking about Revolution Wind, the offshore wind project, which is using the state pier in New London as a home base. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Mike, first of all, bring us up to date about the project based out of the state pier in New London. Sure, absolutely. So Revolution Wind is one of three projects that Eversource Energy is developing in partnership um, with a Danish company named Ersted. Um, So we're developing three projects and Revolution Wind is uh, the project that's kind of in the middle of our our project pipeline uh, right now. And Revolution Wind is a 700 megawatt uh, project. And to give you a sense of scale, that's enough offshore wind uh, to power about 350,000 homes. And Revolution Wind is gonna deliver offshore wind energy into both Connecticut and Rhode Island. And we're projecting projecting that project um, to come into service in late 2023. Um, I mentioned we have uh, we have two other projects. We have a, a smaller project called South Fork Wind um, that uh, will, will serve Long Island or New York, and that is uh, projected to come um, into service in 2023 as well. And then we have a third project called Sunrise Wind um, that will also deliver power into New York, and that will uh, that will go into service in 2024. In 2024, all three of these projects. Um, will, uh, will, will will be staged out of the New London State Pier. Now, when you say offshore wind, you mean way offshore, don't you? Correct, correct. So maybe that's a you know maybe to back up a little bit to, to kind of explain where offshore wind is in the in the U.S. It is a it is a relatively very new source of clean energy uh, for the U.S. It's not new in other parts of the uh, of the world, primarily in Europe. It's it's been a uh, a significant source of clean energy for a while, but it's it's new. It's new to the U.S., but even though it's new, it's poised to become one of the fastest growing sources of, of clean energy here in the U.S. Um, states along the Atlantic coast, primarily here in the, in the Northeast, see offshore wind as a uh, as a significant source of clean energy. They can deliver uh, power, clean power at scale. But importantly, they also see it 
as an opportunity to develop a new uh, a new industry and create jobs uh, here in, in the in, in, in the U.S. And if you look at up and down the Atlantic coast, uh, those states are targeting um, close to 30,000 megawatts of offshore wind um, in service by 2030, by 2035. And that would be enough clean energy to power millions of homes. So uh, potentially a very significant source of clean energy here over time. What work will be done at the State Pier in New London and what sort of work is being done to prepare for that? So what we, what we are planning to, to, to uh, center at the, uh, at the State Pier in New London is we're planning to pre-assemble and stage the, the wind turbines themselves um, before they're brought out uh, to, the, uh, to the construction area um, offshore. And, and, and one thing I should mention, these wind farms are going to be built 30 miles, all three of the projects I described earlier are going to be built approximately 30 miles southeast of Connecticut, so pretty far out in the ocean. So you want to do as much of the construction work that you can on shore. And so one of the largest uh, pieces of the construction effort um, entails the wind turbines. And so that's the actual turbine blades, the actual generator, and the tower, and the tower is the bit of the of the uh, of the of the wind turbine that extends above the uh, the seafloor, or excuse me, the the uh, the ocean surface. And to give you a sense of scale, each one of these turbine blades is longer than the length of a football field, and the tower itself reaches um, over 200 meters above the ocean surface. And so these are really large pieces of equipment. And so we plan to preassemble um, the uh, the towers. The generators and and the uh, and the blades there at State Pier will then bring in very large installation vessels uh, to load uh, the wind turbines and then to bring them out to the construction uh, site. And again, that process will just will just uh, 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 you know be repeated over and over again as we uh, develop the uh, the three projects. And so, what makes State Pier unique um, relative to other potential sites um, uh, here in the Northeast, in particular, but really up and down the Atlantic coast is it's one of the uh, very few port facilities um, that, is, that is located on deep water and has open access to the ocean without hurricane gates or bridges between it and the, uh, and the ocean. It's also relatively proximate to the, to, the, uh, to the construction site. So it makes New London uh, very unique in that regard. And that's important. The deep water and the open access are important because these pieces of equipment are so large that you really need open access. Um, so that's the advantage of State Pier. And so we announced last year, we being Eversource and Erstead, our partner, announced with the Connecticut Port Authority and the state of Connecticut that we had entered into a public-private partnership um, to, uh, to redevelop uh, or rebuild the State Pier so it could perform this role. And it's a significant effort. Um, and Eversource and Erstead will be providing um, almost half of the, uh, of the, of the funding uh, for the construction costs uh, for the project. And then furthermore, will effectively be the anchor tenant at State Pier for the first 10 years of its operations. Now, how have costs been going? I understand that things have increased from the initial estimates. I, I think it was put around $93 million and, and the price tag has increased to around $200 million. Is that right? So when we, when we entered into the, uh, into the, uh, uh, the agreement with the Port Authority in the state last year, the price estimate at that time was close to $160 million. Precisely, it was $157 million. And in terms of where costs stand today, it's really a question for the Port Authority and the state, because the Port Authority is the owner of the uh, the facility. But yes, we we are aware of those potential 
uh, cost increases. And I guess what I would I, I would comment on is that's not necessarily unusual to see cost increases for a project like this as the engineering um, on the project advances. Um, but I also know that the Port Authority, uh, with the help of the state, are undertaking uh, a fairly rigorous review process for looking at ways to optimize the scope um, and the long-term use um, and the cost of the, of the overall project. The other thing I'll highlight is that um, it hadn't started yet, but the Port Authority is planning on uh, uh, performing a fairly uh, competitive procurement process to ensure the most competitive price as possible. Specifically, what sort of work is, is being done? Is a lot of specialized equipment required to, to put together these, these big turbines? So um, so I, I would say that probably the biggest scope of work and, and is, is, is one of the significant drivers of the overall cost of the project is, is the state peer today um, for those uh, of, of your listeners that aren't familiar with it, is two finger piers that that currently exist, and um, to to enable it to act as a uh, staging hub for the wind turbines, we need to do two things. So the port authority is going to need to do two things. They're going to need to increase the uh, the strength um, of the of of one of those existing piers today, so it can act as a heavy lift pier. Um, because as you can imagine, the, uh, the, the, the weight of this equipment is, is significant. Um, but furthermore, the, the area that's between those two piers today, which is currently water, will be fill, filled in. And so when the project's completed, instead of seeing two finger piers, you're going to see one large pier or one larger pier. And the reason why that the, the ex- expanded footprint is necessary is to facilitate um, the, uh, the the offloading and the uh, and the uh, preassembly of the, uh, you know, the of, of the turbine blades and the uh, the tower in particular. Talk a little about job creation and, and what sort of jobs this project is going to generate for southeastern Connecticut. So I, you know maybe, maybe a good way to answer it is is there's a there's a there's a short term uh, view there and then there's a longer term view as well. So starting with the short term, we estimate. During construction, um, that that construction effort will uh, will generate about 460 jobs. And it's about a two-year uh, construction process. We expect construction to begin this year, and it, and it should be done by the end of 2022. So during that time, around 460 jobs. Now, once the once the the state pier is in operation, when it's being used for for wind turbine um, operations, we estimate that it'll there'll be about 100 jobs. 100 plus jobs created out there, and they, and those jobs will run the gamut from the uh, the folks you know working at the pier itself to offload the equipment, um, you know kind of traditional port work, um, but then you're also going to have jobs um, that are are, are 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 more like electricians, and uh, th- those will be the folks um, that actually are working at pre-assembling um, the uh, the towers in particular. Uh, upon which the uh, the generator and the uh, and the and the, and the turbine blades will be attached. So that's once the pier is in operation and, and is being used for uh, uh, for offshore wind purposes, but also in particular because of the the fact that it's going to have a, a a heavy lift uh, capability to the pier, even in periods of time where there aren't offshore wind uh, operations happening out there, we would see the port authority being able to to have uh, a uh, a, a good marketing pitch to bring in other users uh, for that pier as well, especially when you consider the fact that it's right there by um, a major roadway, and you've also got rail uh, interconnection there as well. Um, and then maybe one last thing I would want to highlight, Aaron, is that you know, kind of back to offshore wind, 
um, we see, we, we being uh, Eversource and Ersted, we see the state peer really being a linchpin to, uh, to unlock um, further job growth out of, out of uh, offshore wind here in Connecticut. And the reason for that is, is once you have that infrastructure in place um, to, uh, to stage the wind turbines, especially if you look at the precedent that Ersted has seen in Europe, um, they, it, it, is, it is very likely um, that you would see other elements of the offshore wind supply chain uh, locating near uh, that pier because that that pier will be one of the only places you know along the Atlantic coast um, that can can accommodate such large pieces of uh, of machinery. And so it, it is logical that you would see uh, uh, that offshore wind supply chain growing uh, beyond state pier. and that's and that's where uh, you really start to see an economic development potential for the state. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Mike Osray. He is vice president of renewable energy development at Eversource. So once these turbines are assembled and, and brought way offshore, what sort of maintenance do they need? Is New London going to be used for that as well? We, we see, you know, it's hard to predict over the very long term, um, you know, you know, all the potential uses. Um, but we see definitely um, for the, uh, let's put this, put, put it this way, for the midterm being used for the construction of the, uh, of the wind turbines. When you look at our three existing projects alone, um, so the three projects that Eversource and Ersted are developing, we we anticipate um, there'll be activity in some shape or fashion related to those wind turbines, um, uh, you know, extending out a fair number of years, probably halfway through the uh, the initial lease period. Um, but then we're planning on we're planning on uh, developing new projects, you know, over the horizon that we would we would still. Uh, uh, see staging those out of New London, and then to the extent Eversource and Ersted aren't using uh, State Pier for for uh, for wind turbine assembly, uh, there are another uh, excuse me there are a number of other developers um, that are out there um, developing either wind farms that are adjacent to ours in New England. There's also uh, wind farms that are uh, being developed um, offshore of New York, and we 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 see for both of those markets in particular. State Pier being very marketable for those uh, developers. So I would say for in the in, in the in the medium term, primarily um, offshore wind construction, I, I see being the use. How many generators are we talking about in the wind farm? So great question. So for Revolution Wind um, alone, um, that will uh, that will be eighty eight wind turbines um, operating out in our um, out in our offshore lease area. But if you and I'm quickly doing this math. If you look at the uh, at all three projects um, that we again would plan to stage out of State Pier, that'll be um, approximately 213 machines um, that'll be pre-assembled at State Pier and then uh, and then obviously uh, constructed out at, out in the lease area. So, kind of basic question: Twenty some years ago, when electricity deregulation occurred in Connecticut, Eversource then CLMP got out of the power generation business. What allows you to get back into it here? Is it your partner, Ersted? No, it's a great question. Um, so um, let me start with the uh, with the deregulation piece of it. Um, so I should have said this up front, um, but our um, our ownership in these in these uh, offshore wind farms it, that ownership will take place outside of our regulated businesses. So EverSource EverSource's regulated businesses are not getting back into the generation. Uh, business. We're doing this in a uh, in an unregulated affiliate 
um, that's um, you know, subject to the competitive forces of the market. Now, the reason we partnered with Ersted, um, Ersted, as I mentioned at the outset, is a is a is a Danish-based company, but Ersted is is the world's leader um, in offshore wind. They've developed more offshore wind and placed in service more offshore wind uh, farms than any any other developer in, in the globe. Um, so, Eversource sought. Ersted out for their offshore wind expertise, and I think the you know what Ersted sees in Eversource is its extensive knowledge of the electrical system in New England in particular. So it's a good combination of worldwide expertise from Ersted and that local knowledge that Eversource brings. Now, in, in terms of electricity rates, because this is considered a renewable project, you're going to be able to charge more than say for power that's generated at a, a gas plant or something, correct? Well, I wouldn't say we'd be able to charge charge more per se. Um, when when we were when when we were awarded um, the the contract um, that that underpins Revolution Wind, um, number one, it was a competitive procurement that the state of Connecticut and also the state of Rhode Island uh, were were conducting two separate procurement processes, but a very competitive process, um, and that was very important uh, to both states, Connecticut, uh, you know, in particular because they wanted to ensure they were getting the best price possible. Um, but even coming out of that RF, or that procurement process, in the case of Connecticut, the regulator here, Pura, uh, took a very close look um, at the contract. And one of the things it had to look at before it ultimately approved moving forward with Revolution Wind is that, is that there would be net benefit uh, to, to the customers um, of Connecticut, or to the ratepayers in Connecticut. And, and the regulator concluded the answer to that was yes, I think in part. Um, that was because of the competitive process uh, that was run here. Um, but also the wind farms have a unique attribute in that they produce the most energy uh, during or they produce their most energy during winter and not just not just in the winter too it, uh, as the sun starts to go down. And so they peak their production peaks at a time when Connecticut and the rest of New England needs energy the most. Um, it's because obviously it gets very cold. And 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 competition for natural gas that both provides heat, but also a lot of power generation in New England, um, it gets very expensive at that point in time. So offshore wind uh, provides uh, uh, or has the potential to significantly offset um, that peak um, power demand from fossil sources. Um, so there. So again, when that power from the for, from the offshore wind farms peaks. It's actually it's some of the most expensive times of the year for power in New, New England. Is this simply going to be added capacity for the regional power grid, or is this going to replace some other capacity that might go offline in the future? It, it, it will offset um, sources of existing power uh, generation that exists today. Um, so primarily that'll be uh, fossil fossil energy production that this will offset. It will, de- it will definitely create capacity, but it will, it will off- offset uh, existing sources of power. Looking in your crystal ball, do you see demand for electricity holding relatively steady in the region going out five, 10 years, or is it going to increase or decrease as, as people you know, use less electricity because things are more efficient? You know, it's a great question, and and I'm certainly not the expert on on predicting where power demand is going to go. But you have two forces um, at play, and one of them you just touched on. Um, we are um, thanks uh, thanks in part to technology, thanks in part to to state policies. Um, you know, here in Connecticut and elsewhere in New England, we are becoming much more efficient um, in our power usage. 
and that and that does lower demand. So to your point, but another powerful force though is 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 this trend of of greater electrification um, of of just our lives. Um, so electric vehicles are an easy example of that. Um, as as we see transportation um, start to trend more and more towards um, uh, electric vehicles, that's going to significantly uh, increase uh, demand for power. Um, so I think I think you know if we had our crystal balls out, I think I think you'd have to 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 take a point of view about how fast do we think that electrification of transportation is going to occur, of of heating, you know, of, of heating buildings, how fast that will occur. Um, but over over the long term, I would I would say um, that uh, that demand for power will will actually increase over time. Now, you hope to start producing power from Revolution Wind in late 2023, you said. Has that Correct. timeline been slowed down at all by COVID or any other factors? Um, it's a great question. No, not by COVID. Um, fortunately, um, fortunately, um, you know, where we are in the construction process um, and development process for Revolution Wind, there has not been any impact from COVID. We've been able to work through that. Um, but where there has been headwinds um, on Revolution Wind and our other projects as well has been the fact that um, there has not been a large-scale offshore wind uh, wind farm, offshore wind farm built yet in the United States. So some smaller projects have been have been built here in the U.S., but nothing nothing to the scale of what we or other developers are looking at developing. And so, as you can imagine, there's a number of permits um, that are required before you can start construction. And those those permits for these offshore wind farms they're they're issued both at the federal level and both at, and excuse me and at the state level. And you know, I think partially um, just because of the newness of it, um, but also um, you know the uh, kind of where where the uh, the previous federal administration had been on this, the 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 the, the lack of clarity and to and, and certainty around the permitting process. Um, you, you know, it it has there's been let's put there's opportunity for to see to see improvements there um, in terms of kind of certainty uh, around the process under which these wind farms will be permitted. And that's and that's why um, you know we're we're you know we're we're encouraged by the early uh, signals that we're seeing out of the new administration in Washington today. What are some of those changes you've experienced? And I know it's it's early, right? Right. Yeah. Very very early. But I think you know number one, the signals that we've seen out of the Biden administration from the from the get go um, have been um, have, have been uh, what they call this whole of government strategy around tackling climate change. And they've made offshore wind uh, uh, the, the bedrock of that of that strategy. So that was a good early sign. But then also, as we watch the president and his cabinet appointments uh, take shape, um, the cabinet appointments that we're seeing really do appear to support that strategy around um, combating climate change, um, but also with an emphasis on offshore wind. And several of the folks um, in that administration on the cabinet um, are actually um, have direct experience with offshore wind. Here in uh, in New England and in New York, and so we're encouraged. It's a strong team that the president's assembling. Mike, what's a common misconception about offshore wind or wind power in general that should be dispelled? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, well, in the U.S., it's so new that I don't know if there are a lot of of common mi- uh, misperceptions. But maybe one that I hear about. Is um, is is well? Where is it going to be located? In fact, you touched on it with with one of your questions earlier on. You know, is it 
Is it going to be right there at the beach? Where is it going to be? It's it's hard to it's hard to visualize. And and uh, you know the answer to that is early early on um, in Europe when they first started developing offshore wind farms, they were relatively relatively close uh, close to shore. Um, but as as construction techniques improved and the technology itself around the machinery uh, improved over time, they've they've grown for uh, they, they've they've been built further and further out into the ocean. And as I mentioned earlier, re- our Revolution Wind Project, it's going to be 30 miles um, from the Connecticut uh, shore. So pretty far out to sea. So I would say, I would say that's 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 one of the uh, that's one of the misperceptions um, that we encounter. But again, the way technology has improved over time, um, these 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 uh, these wind farms are built fairly far out to sea. Um, so the, the visual impact of it is minimized, um, but also relative to other alternatives for clean energy you can still build it relatively close to major population centers. He is Mike Osray, Vice President of Renewable Energy Development at Eversource. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, so so happy to be here. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.